The scripture reading this morning is from Acts 4, verses 18 through 31. <clears throat> this takes place just after John and, or Peter and John have been hauled before the Sanhedrin because of their preaching. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. David said, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit, servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible with you or if you want to grab one from one of the seats in front of you, to turn to the very last page of Luke's Gospel. We will have one more week talking about the Gospel of Luke. And then in two weeks, we'll begin a series on Psalm 119. As we go to the Word, uh, I, I want to ask a couple of questions uh, that, that may cause you to think of, of a long time ago, but not that long ago. How many of you remember... Those little egg beaters that had a hand crank on the side. Okay, I actually remember them. I remember seeing one and thinking it was the coolest thing. Like, you don't have to plug this into the wall. You can just hold it. And I, I love trying to see how fast I can make it go. But I never actually beat eggs with it. I, I can't imagine trying. Can you make meringue with one of those? Would you even try? Some of you have. <laughs> Think for a minute, I, I called Betty Long and, and was talking to her this past week about some of these things that, you know, you think it hasn't been that long, and you used to have to do things in a very difficult way, and now all of a sudden there are easier ways, maybe you could say better ways, to do the exact same thing. And she reminded me that when she was a little girl, about four years old, she actually had a real icebox. How many of you have ever even seen a real icebox? Some of you, I, I, the guy that was uh, one of the many leaders in my youth group growing up always called the refrigerator an icebox, and I thought that it was the same thing. It is not the same thing. Uh, Betty said during the summer when it was hot, at least twice a week, you would have a guy make deliveries of 
large chunks of ice and you would put the large blocks of ice in the bottom of your ice box that would function like a refrigerator, but you never plugged it in. You had to have someone bring you ice. Now, nobody would look at an ice box or a manual egg beater and think, oh, I just miss those days. (laughs) When you have something better, when you have something that makes things easier, sometimes eventually you take it for granted, right? But for those of you who know the difference, you're thankful for something better. You're thankful for something with more power to it. We've just heard a scripture reading from the book of Acts that describes a church that's in fear because they have been heavily persecuted. Two of the men who were preaching boldly were gathered by the authorities, physically beaten. You could have seen bruises on their bodies. They may have had black eyes. They may have had bloody lips and they come back to the church And they tell them everything that's happened. And they are joyful. But imagine the effect that that would have had on the church. In fact, you don't have to imagine it. Scripture says they were afraid. And in that fear, they cried out to God. Give us one of the most beautiful prayers, I think, in the entire New Testament. They remember who God is. And they address him as the God of the Old Testament. And they ask for his power and for his help because they know that the church has been given the responsibility to tell people about Jesus. And the people with power and authority have just told them to not tell people about Jesus. So this is the ultimate going over someone's head. They appeal to the authority that is greater than any authority in the universe and say, oh God. Would you help us? And the scripture says that in response to their prayer, they were all, not just Peter and John, but the entire church was filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to proclaim with boldness the truth about Jesus Christ. This is a passage that matters for us as a church. Because it's been said for a long time, and it's been said for a long time because it is easy for this to happen to every church. It was true back in Jesus' day in, in the book of Revelation as Jesus is speaking very clearly to the seven churches that, that not all of them were operating with the power of the Spirit. So this isn't a new problem. This is something that happens, I believe, really with every generation of the church. Every generation needs to learn and understand what it means to live and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that wise Christians ask, that good churches ask regularly, is are we existing in the power of the Holy Spirit? The church in Acts, we've just seen one place, clearly did not always have this kind of filling of the Spirit. They asked for it again and again, and you see it throughout Acts. In fact, you could maybe call the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit does things throughout the entire book, they ask and God gives it to them again and again, liberally and generously. The truth is, Jesus died so that 
individual Christians and the global Christian church could have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is not an overstatement. The Old Testament points to the reality that God wants to be with His people, among His people. And in fact, in two different places in the Old Testament, God says, I will put my Spirit in you so that you will be changed from the inside out to love the commands of God, so that the commands of God are not a burden that you hate, that you feel like you have to keep, but instead from the inside out, you will be changed so that you love God's good, life-giving commands. And so it's a good question for us to ask again and again, do we experience this gift of God the way God intended Jesus' goal is to unite Christians and the church with the Father so that we can truly know God. And the Holy Spirit, Scripture teaches very clearly, is given at the moment a person believes in the gospel. And it's my prayer today that you and I would treasure Him more, that we would experience the fullest blessings of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives and in our church. It is a sobering question to ask, how much of church activity could go on unchanged without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? Could the word be preached without the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Could we pray without the influence of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, it is possible. Could we sing without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, it is possible. Could we exist giving out food in our different food ministries without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, it is possible. But we would be doing it as unbelievers and there would be no eternal value in any of it. We only are connected with God through the Holy Spirit and our service to Him is to be done as an outpouring of what God has done for us in Christ. And before we spend some time in the book of Luke, I want to actually take the bulk of this message and talk about what it is the Spirit does for us and in us and through us. Because at the end of this message, you get to the climax of Luke's gospel. Jesus is risen from the dead. What could possibly be greater? What could possibly be better? And Jesus says, all right, disciples, I need you to sit in Jerusalem and do nothing for a while, okay? You would think that from this great, awesome victory, he would send them out and they would just win and it would be awesome. And he says, don't do anything, okay? I just, I just need you to not do anything. You know, I've had moments like that as a parent where I, I look at my kids and I say, I just need you just for a couple minutes, just don't do anything, okay? The reality is, unless they were operating with the power of the Holy Spirit, there was no value in what they would try to do. They would do nothing but fall flat on their faces and fail. If you want to see failure, look at them in the Garden of Gethsemane where they all flee. Look at Peter denying Christ as Christ is on trial. And as he's risen from the dead, they don't believe it. And so Jesus, after he appears to them, after they see him, after they see him eat, after they touch his body, they say, we we believe and they're excited. And he says, good, don't do anything. 
He says, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming. And I believe that we as a church need to learn to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. But that means we've got to think for just a few minutes about what the Spirit is. What does he do? How can you experience? There's a lot of confusion about this. And and even though I'm going to devote a significant part of my message to this, this is just scratching the surface. There's so much more that we could continue to talk in. But I, I ask you to get a bulletin today because you should have an insert. And on the back of your insert, you should have a list of 12 things about the Holy Spirit. And that is way too many things for anyone to write down. And so I wanted to make sure that you would have it in advance. And I left a couple of blanks for you. You can fill them in, and hopefully this is helpful. But I want to teach just a little bit about who the Spirit is and what he does and why he is such a precious gift and why Jesus died so that you could have the Holy Spirit. And it's my prayer that you would enjoy the presence and power of the Spirit and that our church would have the same kind of earth-shaking boldness as we learn to depend on the Holy Spirit. So let's look, look at the word with me. I've got a reference for each of these. And I would encourage you to spend some time in the word looking and seeing this. So answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Number one, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The, the reference I gave you for this is 1 Corinthians twelve twenty four. And if you read that verse, you might scratch your head and say, wait, what does that prove? Well, here's, here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 says that God is the one who organizes the church, who gives the church her different spiritual gifts so that he gave me the gift of preaching. He may give another person the gift of service. And and I am no better than the other person. The other person is no better than I am because God is the one who decided to give each of us our gifts. They're gifts of grace, which means none of us deserve them. It's a blessing freely given by God. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 says God is the one who makes that decision. And if you look earlier in that chapter, if you look at, at 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it clearly says the Holy Spirit is the one who gives gifts according to the Holy Spirit's will. So put those two verses together. If the Spirit is the one who is giving gifts, and then a few verses later, Paul says it's God who gives the gifts, Paul is teaching you that the Spirit is God. You can see that in several other places. You can see it in the commands of Jesus. We are to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It would be really bizarre if Jesus taught us to do that, but the Spirit is not a person. So you can see it in Jesus' commands. You can see it especially clearly all through the book of Acts, and I'll mention a few of these in just a moment. But the underlying truth that you and I need to realize is the Spirit is God, which means you can believe God is everywhere, right? My my kids know this. If you ask them, who is God? They'll say, God is a spirit who doesn't have a body like a man, which means he's a person. And if you ask them, where is God? I taught them like little hand motions for this. Sometimes they do the hand motions, sometimes they don't. But they'll say, everywhere. And then I'll say, so is God in the kitchen? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, so is, is God right here in the bedroom with us? Yeah. So they know that God is everywhere. But the question is, how is the Holy Spirit different? And let me, let me tell you how the Holy Spirit is a little bit different. Even though I believe that God is down in the Family Life Center right now, God's presence in the Family Life Center does me no good, because I'm here. The Holy Spirit is the way that you personally connect to God's presence wherever you are. 
In a special way, you enjoy the presence of God within you if you know the Lord Jesus. And so God is with you in a way that is unique and special, in a way that God is not with those who haven't met him through Christ yet. So number one, recognize that the Holy Spirit is God. Number two, recognize something more particular. We're moving from kind of general truth to more particular truth. In Romans 8 verse 9 and in in John chapter 15 verse 26, the Holy Spirit is called both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. And I believe the way that the Trinity works is that the Father has loved the Son for all of eternity. In fact, the Scripture teaches that the Son is the only begotten of God. He is begotten, not made. He is eternal. He has existed forever. And that the relationship between the Father and the Son is such that they love each other so much that their love is like a person, and that person is the Holy Spirit. So there are three persons in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see in verses like Romans 8, 9, and John 15, 26, the scriptural evidence that the Holy Spirit, the technical term is, proceeds from both the Father and the Son. But he's not just a vague spirit, he is a person. And you can see that throughout the book of Acts. As we'll see in just a moment, the Holy Spirit instructs the church who they should send out as missionaries. It's a very clear and obvious choice that the writer wants you to know, this is how the Holy Spirit is active in your church. Jesus is not physically with you anymore. The Father is not with you except in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is active as a person. He is the presence of God with believers and with the church. And he is the spirit of God in Christ. Uh, My third point there is actually exactly that. He is the presence of God with you. He is the presence of God with you. And I do want to pause. This is a long list, so we can't read every reference, but I wanted you to have them so you can look them up later. John chapter 14, and it would be worth everyone looking at this. John chapter 14, Jesus describes what he does for us through the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, and and I'll be referencing these verses again in just a moment. Jesus says to, to his followers, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, which is a tall order. Verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So from those verses we learn very clearly that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God with us. I have a good friend uh, named Ernesto Alaniz. He's a pastor up in Flint. He he pastors Flint City Church. And I meet with him not quite every week anymore, but almost every week. Or at least talk on the phone with him. He's a more experienced pastor. He's been just enormously helpful. We pray together. And, And for the first time last October, I actually heard him tell his testimony. How he became a Christian. Uh, He was a little city kid and, uh, 
was just full of trouble and went to play basketball at a church in Waterford. And he was the kind of kid that they would kick out of the church because he swore all the time. And, and he couldn't help it. In fact, he didn't even think of it as, as a bad thing. It was just how he talked. It was how everyone who knew talked. And these Christians would be like, you can't talk that way here. You're, you can't come back next week. And so he would miss a couple of weeks, and then he would come back and try not to swear in front of all these Christians. And eventually, through the witness of one of his friends, he heard the good news that Jesus died for his sins and rose from the dead. And he didn't fully understand it. He said he spent about a year getting to know this family. In fact, the the kid that led him to the Lord, uh, he used to stuff him in the locker at school all the time. He he loved to beat up this kid. And and the kid was so kind and patient with him. Uh, Nestor said that one time he was in the lunch line and he was... Uh, he was on what was called like assisted lunch. So everybody else paid $2 and, and he did not because he was poor. And so when he got up there, he was supposed to say, I- I'm on assisted lunch. And they said, oh, okay, here's your lunch. Except that there was a pretty girl behind him. And he didn't want to admit in front of this pretty girl that he was poor. And so he got up to the line and there's a lunch lady looking at him and he didn't say anything. He just choked up. And, and he, so he's looking at this lady, and she's like, well, you, I need $2 or, or something. And he's just like, ah. And Ken, this little kid that he loved to stuff in the locker all the time, said, hey, I got it. I got it, man. I got you. Here's your two bucks. And just paid for him. And so Ernesto was like, what just happened? I stuffed this kid in a locker, and he pays for my lunch? Uh, so, so he asked him, and his friend said, you know what? Somebody paid a debt for me once that I couldn't pay. And he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, you didn't have money for lunch once? He goes, no. I, I owed a debt to God, and, and Jesus paid my debt on the cross. And Ernesto said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, and didn't believe it for a long time. But he started spending time with this kid. And Ernesto, as the more he spent time with this kid and this kid's family, and he saw that they were, they were Christians, and he began to understand what that meant, he said he went home one day, and he said, God, I don't understand this, and I don't know everything about what it means, but, but if you'll have me, I'm yours. And he gave his life to God. And he said the first thing that he understood as a result of that was that when he used to do things, uh, like shortly thereafter, he, he, he beat up that poor kid again. And he said he used to be, he never felt bad about that. He would be like, inward high five, this is awesome, I am awesome, everything is awesome. And instead of feeling awesome, he felt guilty. And he said for the first time in his life, oh no, what, what's happening to me? And, and, and not only that, he, he, said he, he said something really terrible to his mama about the same day. And, and instead of feeling awesome, like I can talk back to my mom, I showed her, he felt real guilty. Like, your mama loves you, and, and you shouldn't have said that to her. And he realized that he had the presence of God in him, suddenly teaching him that he should not love doing things that are wrong, and instead, when he did things that are wrong, that he should repent, that he should say Sorry. Nesto can tell you personally what it's like to have the change. And many of you could say the same thing as you have come to know the Lord, that you may not be able to explain it exactly from the Bible, but you can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in you because God is with you in a way that he was not before you knew Jesus Christ. So he is the presence of God with you. Number four, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he testifies to Jesus. He testifies to Jesus. The reference for that, since you're already in John, John 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26. Jesus says very clearly that the spirit that he is going to give us will help us understand 
who he is and learn about him, even though you and I have never met Jesus face to face, Jesus says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of the truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. In other words, when you hear about Jesus, many people hear the gospel of Jesus and shrug their shoulders and say, I don't know if that's true or not, and I don't really care. But the Holy Spirit can take the message of the gospel and open your eyes. So I remember when I was a little boy, about eight years old, I understood that this wasn't just a story, but that my sin made me guilty before God and I needed forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit helped me understand that because Jesus died on the cross, God would forgive my sins. He testified to my heart, not just my mind, that Jesus loved me and died for me. So the Holy Spirit helps you know who Jesus is and what he did. He helps you know that, especially as you hear scripture and read scripture. It's not as if you can just say privately, I believe this thing that's true about Jesus, and I know the Bible says something different. That's not how it works. This is the same spirit that inspired the pages of scripture. And so the Holy Spirit helps you know what is true about Jesus. Not only that, the book of Ephesians and I would encourage you to spend some time in Ephesians this week, describes the Holy Spirit as number five, the seal of salvation. The seal of salvation. You might say, what on earth is that? Well, we'll think of it as when official letters were sent a long time ago, you used to have like a wax seal on it. And it would mean that it had not been opened and it would be official business from one person to another. And the seal of salvation in this context is more important than a letter. It's actually guaranteeing. It's, it's really more like a wedding ring where it's the promise that something good is going to come. When I gave my wife an engagement ring, we had a couple of months before we got married. We didn't get married right away, but we had made a promise that we would get married. And the Bible teaches that the presence of the Holy Spirit is with you and in you when you believe in Christ, but we don't enjoy all the blessings of salvation yet. We will not enjoy them until we see Jesus face to face. In Romans 8, Paul describes how all creation groans and you and I groan because we have the Holy Spirit as what's called the first fruits of all God's blessings. You can read about that in Romans 8, which means we got a down payment. We got a really great thing. It's awesome, but it's not everything. And the Spirit is a seal that testifies to your heart that you are God's, that you do belong to God, even though you still suffer and even though you still groan, even though doing church is hard, the Spirit is among us to testify to us that God is at work now. And so it's the promise of God that salvation will be completed. Number six, again, I mentioned John chapter 14, verse 16, uh, because Jesus calls the Spirit, uh, some translations say comforter, Some say helper. Some say advocate. The truth is, all of those words are good words. He helps. He comforts when you grieve. He advocates for you. And I'll say more about his advocacy in just a moment. But not only does he help you personally as a believer, number seven, the one... He is the one who sends out missionaries. You can read about this in Acts chapter 13. The Holy Spirit said, set aside for me Barnabas and Paul. The Holy Spirit is the one who made that choice. The Holy Spirit is the one who moved in the church. Not only that, number eight, the Holy Spirit is the giver 
of spiritual gifts. He's the giver of spiritual gifts. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. Not only that, we've been talking about prayer. The Holy Spirit, number nine, helps you pray. If you struggle to pray and you feel like, I'm not very good at this, I've got good news for you. The Holy Spirit helps you pray and prays on your behalf. In fact, that's the, number, the, the next point, number 10. Not only does he help you pray, he prays for you. Scripture says in Romans 8, we don't always know what we should pray, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so sometimes all you can do is say, God, I don't know what to say right now, but I need help. And you can trust that the Spirit is praying for you on your behalf and that the Father is going to help you. Number 11, the Spirit unites the church. The Spirit unites the church. Ephesians 4 says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Spirit, and we all share in the same Holy Spirit. Christians all over the world, for the entire history of the church, from the day of Pentecost to the present day, have shared in the same Holy Spirit. And lastly, in the list, the Spirit, number 12, is your source of power. The Spirit is your source of power. So if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says very specifically, you will receive power. Now what is that power for? It's not just so that you can lift great weights. It's not just so that you can pass a test. It's not just so that you can buy a house. There are are tons of reasons that we want power and, and sometimes we feel weak. The Spirit's power is to spread the kingdom of Jesus. It's to give us boldness when we feel like cowards. It's to help us when we are tempted to sin, to resist that temptation to sin. As you think about the spirit that unites the church, when we are arguing over things that don't matter, the Holy Spirit should drive us back together so that we love each other and forgive each other. So all of these things, and there are many others, demonstrate how precious the presence of God in his church is. Is And I haven't even mentioned things like the the fruit of the Spirit in, in Galatians, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's called the fruit of the Spirit because when you have the Spirit in you, those are the qualities that come out of you if you submit to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Think about that for a second. Many of us experience anxiety and fear and depression. None of those come from the Spirit of God. But if you seek to walk in step with the Spirit, the Spirit will help you with those things by pointing you to Christ and the hope that you have in the present and even more so in the future. So so note, all of these things that the Spirit of God does... And now pay special attention to this. This is not in your notes. We receive the Spirit as a gift by hearing the Word of God through faith. I'm going to say that again and I'm going to give you a reference. We receive the Spirit as a gift by hearing the Word of God through faith. And the reference for that is Galatians 3, verses 2 to 6. Galatians 3, verses 2 to 6. And it says exactly that. Paul asks this this question. Did you receive the Spirit by keeping all the law, by obeying God's commandments? The answer is no. You can't obey God's commandments on your own. But instead, you receive the Spirit as a gift 
when you hear the word of God and respond with faith. And that's what has happened ever since the apostles preached the good news of Jesus. Now, we are almost out of time, and we have not even looked at our text. Don't be nervous. We will be okay. Go back to Luke chapter 24. And I want to quickly notice how the presence of the Holy Spirit becomes the climax of Luke's gospel. First, notice what has happened to Jesus Christ and the apostles. To begin with, we've seen last week, you might remember, they are in a state of doubt and confusion because they have not remembered the words of Christ. Then Jesus appears to two people, and and opens their eyes to all of the scriptures. They begin to understand what's really true about Jesus. And this picks up right after those two people go and tell the 11 apostles and, and the group of people surrounding them. It's the same night. So Jesus is raised from the dead Sunday morning, Sunday night. Verse 36, read with me how he gives the apostles physical proof that he's really risen from the dead. Verse 36 says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. The New Testament teaches that Jesus is physically raised from the dead. He's not just spiritually raised. They're not just making up a myth. He ate with them. When they disbelieved, he gave them physical evidence and physical proof. And so our hope is not just in some inspiring story that helps us be good people. Our hope is literally... That because Jesus has risen from the dead, one day if we die in Christ, we will also be raised in Christ. We have a hope that the worst things in this world can be healed and forgiven because Jesus died for our sins and physically rose from the dead. And his apostles didn't believe it at first, and then he gave them this physical proof. But not only does he give them physical proof, you might say, well, I can't have that kind of proof. I I can't touch him. I've never seen him with my eyes, never seen him eat or shared a meal with him. He gives them scriptural proof. Look at verses 44 through 47. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now pause right there. He's got a little bit more to say, but pause just for a moment. Notice again 
He opens their minds to understand all of the scriptures. That's the only way we know who Jesus genuinely is. I've already talked a lot about praying that we would have a heart to know Jesus in all of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, so that we truly know him as he is. But what I want to point out today is notice the clear and simple statement of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And in here, he he says it as a mission statement that we must preach the good news of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in fact, that it should be preached to all nations. Everywhere around the world needs to hear the message that Jesus has died for our sins and risen from the dead. And and this is a two-pronged message. Number one, you and I need to be forgiven. We need this message. We are the recipients of this kind of preaching. If you know Jesus and your sins are forgiven, you are blessed. But number two, other people have not heard. This is true in every generation. Our kids are not born Christians. Our kids need the gospel. But this is still true in places all over the world. There are people groups in Indonesia that have not heard the gospel. I have some dear friends who are serving among one of those people groups. There are people groups in Latin America that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mission of the church is not over. We have a job to do. So if you have believed, recognize that this is still our mission. So you would expect at this point, Christ would say, all right, guys, go do it. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He instead says, notice the resurrection power that Jesus claims for them. He says, verse 48 You are witnesses of these things. And he's going to send out these first-hand witnesses. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted for them and was carried up to heaven, and they worshipped him. You ever doubt whether or not Jesus is God? They worship him as God. And then returning to Jerusalem with great joy, they were continually in the temple blessing God because what God had done for them and what God promised that he would do through them. So notice Jesus has told them what to do. You have to preach the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that happens because Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. But before he sends them out, he says, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Don't go anywhere. And so they wait for 50 days before the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them in the book of Acts. And you might wonder, you know, why is that? Why, why did God do that? Well, I want to give you two reasons. Number one, the reason that God did that was he wanted you and I to know all the promises of God in the Old Testament are coming true. He says that very clearly in the book of Romans chapter 15. Jesus came as a servant to the circumcised, so the uncircumcised, in other words, Jesus came as a servant to the Jews, so that non-Jews would know that God kept all of his promises. 
We don't pick up the faith when Jesus came down. We continue the faith that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God keeps all of his promises. And by making sure that the message started in Jerusalem for all time, all of the church will remember Jesus was born in Bethlehem to fulfill the promise of God to Old Testament saints. Jesus died on a cross in Jerusalem to fulfill the Old Testament prophets that said he would die after the people of God rejected him. Jesus was raised in power in fulfillment of all that God said so that you and I could know that all God's promises are true in Christ. Spend some time. Read Romans 15. That's why God says it happened this way. But most practically for us, they cannot succeed in their mission without the power of the Holy Spirit. They can't preach in power. They can't pray in power. And if they had not received the Holy Spirit, their preaching would have come to nothing. The first time they encountered persecution, they would have given up. They would have said, all right, you guys are right, we're done. And the church would have died. And I believe that churches today die when they try to operate without the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says some very pointed things. Many of you have heard the passage in Galatians that talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says some very pointed things to the church about what happens when the church tries to function without it. He says, you fight, you bicker says that there's fear, that there's angry, that there's sexual immorality. All of those things are signs that we are not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, sometimes we have conflict in our church about dumb things that don't matter. And it's a sign that we are not always filled with the Holy Spirit. And and that's not a criticism on some particular person. That's true of all of us at times. D.L. Moody said, I pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day because I regularly leak. In other words, I forget the true promises of God. I'm tempted to sin in ways that grieve the Holy Spirit. And so we need again and again to go back to the source. Paul says to Christians, not to non-Christians, but to Christians, he says, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit so that the Spirit leads you to worship Christ, so that the Spirit leads you to tell other people about Jesus. So my goal for this message is to make us long for the Spirit that does all of these things in us individually and in us as a church. And it starts with asking. You might wonder, how can I be filled with the Spirit? Number one, ask. Jesus has said so clearly in Luke 11 that the Father loves to give the Holy Spirit to us when we ask. So ask for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I do that before I preach. I would urge you to do that before God calls you to do anything. Ask for God to open your eyes to see Jesus for who he is. Number two, Ask for the Spirit like Jesus teaches us in Luke 11, both for yourself and for our church. Number three, we've already read from Galatians, we must hear the word with faith. Ask the Lord to help you understand it and to help you believe it. Number four, we are told to pray at all times in the Spirit, which is why it's distressing, but it's possible to just say some words without genuinely praying. And in fact, as I was talking to Dory about our prayer seminars and and asking for for some tips from her prayer life, she's talked openly 
before this time as well, about needing to pause to be open to the leading of the Spirit, so that before she opens her mouth when she prays, she talks to the Lord and asks for help in praying. So I've given you four different ways. Ask the Lord to help you see Jesus. The Spirit will help you there. Ask for the presence and power of the Spirit in your life and in our church so that we can obey all of his commands. Listen to the word of God with faith. Be in the word regularly. And finally, pray in the Spirit. And what I would like to do to conclude this service now is to actually ask Dory to pray for us. And this can't be a one-time thing. Okay, so when, you, when Acts 4 happens, which is what Phyllis read earlier, the Spirit falls on the church, the church is shaken, they boldly go out and tell people about Jesus. It's not too long before they're afraid and powerless again. And so they have to regularly ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to be poured out for them and on them. And the good news is, God does it when they ask. So I'd like for us to ask now, but this is not the only time. I would ask that you would continue to pray for me as I prepare to preach. I would ask that you pray for our regular ministries. Pray as we give out food at Forgotten Harvest, that we would be able to give out the gospel, that we would have opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. Pray for every ministry that we do. Pray about witnessing to your friends and your family. Ask for the power of the Holy Spirit so that we don't try to do this without him. Would you pray with us now? As I prepare to dismiss you, uh, I want to mention again, we're going to have a time of prayer tonight, uh, a little bit after 3 o'clock, and I believe one of our greatest needs as a church is to pray together more often. And I want to welcome you and invite you to come call on the Lord with us. Today we're going to be talking a little bit more about praying for our families in particular. Uh, But if you are a single person, there are many ways that we would love to have you pray with us as well. And so at 3 o'clock, let's continue what we've started now, calling out to the Lord and just asking for his help. I believe he's so honored when we do that. As I dismiss you, I want to leave you with a verse uh, from the book of Second Thessalonians that they were studying this morning. Paul says just some beautiful things about our God. And I, I want to leave you with the way that he leaves the Thessalonian Christians at the end of his letter. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 16. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Go in peace.